All righty. Hello, everyone. This is Take Action Podcast with Monty and Yura. We are recording season two, episode 20 today. Today is Thursday, so we still know our days. And we'll start really quickly with Green Bay weather update, guys. Last couple of days was phenomenal. We finally back to spring temperatures when it's 55, 60 degrees. But today is a nice gloomy day. However, I just put some grass seeds on my yard, so I take a rainy day, a little free water. Other than that, uh, weather is looking good for the rest of a week. So I'm pretty excited to have spring and summer weather coming up with my wild kids because I just cannot keep those wild beasts inside. <laughs> Other than that, I had a good week. It was Mother's Day last Sunday. Me and Monty, if you haven't checked out our Mother's Day episode, it was great. It was very simple, easy going. We talked about normal quarantine problems about us struggling with homework and some parenting. Monty also shared his tips and tricks on how he's staying busy in quarantine and taking actually the huge, tremendous opportunities on his investment properties to move along. So when quarantine is lifted, he's going to be standing on his feet taller than ever. And we have another phenomenal guest today, a friend of Monty. So I'll let him to introduce him. Yeah. So Ted Karras is our guest today. Ted, what's happening? Just happy to be with you guys here from Indianapolis. Kind of gloomy here too. You're a uh, rainy a little bit, but I put grassy down too the other day. So I, I, I think along the same lines as you. But now I'm just happy to be with you guys and, and talk whatever you guys want to talk about. For sure. I mean, we could probably have about a series of 10 podcasts with you, Ted, on, on your resume, your family. One of the awesome things that Ted and I work together at NCSA is you'll find out a lot of my guests have, but have been from NCSA. But the exciting thing, I think, in the one unique part about, and this is the one thing I truly miss now being not there a little bit over a month of, of actually not doing uh, recruiting calls, but it's just my teammates, you know, being able to talk with them once or twice a week and seeing them all the time. Ted and I have been on, you know, two separate teams together and we've got a couple of years there. We hung out a lot at the uh, the last scouting summit. You know, I miss that. I miss that part of it. I don't, I got to be honest, I don't miss the nightly phone calls every single night. I miss the kids. I miss the leading kids and, and motivating them, but I, I just don't miss those mandatory seven days a week, nights and weekends calls at this point, you know, they burn out pretty quick. So <laughs> Ted, how are you hanging in? Good, actually. Um, we've cut some of the later hours, you know, due to what's been going on the last uh, two months. But NCSA is connecting more people than ever. We're having one of our best months ever, both on the coach activity side and connecting kids, because that's all really anyone can do right now yeah. until June 1st. So we're going full steam ahead. Things are looking good on the horizon. You know, hopefully here for college athletics starting this fall and and we're plugging right along here at NCSA. It's been pretty good. Yeah, it's interesting. I had one of my one of my favorite families that I've worked with. They have my cell phone, and he called me the other day. He didn't know that I had left. He was asking me. His son's at a JUCO right now, and he's like, "We just don't know the coach. The coaches at the JUCO don't want him to leave because he's that talented. He's one of the frustrating families that we work with, Ted. Where we give them all the advice and they don't do it. They still think it's like how the blind side was, you know. And coaches come into your living room, and he did that with both of his kids. And I have to keep telling them that. That's not how it works. And so both of his kids were extremely talented. One of his kids got recruited and actually accepted offers to play D1 football and basketball at Northern Illinois. And then when he got there, the head coach was pissed because he, <laughs> he accepted to play basketball instead of just focus on football. So there's a whole thing with that. He ended up going to a JUCO and then ended up choosing the basketball route. And he's actually in the G League right now or the D League or whatever they're calling it now. And then his son, his other son, I 
said, we got to get started as a freshman. You guys know what happened with the situation at Northern Illinois. We have to make sure you got enough opportunities, enough things to get going. And he didn't do anything. And he did the same exact thing he did with his older son and waited. We had all the tools, all the resources, everything he needed to take action for his son. And he just never did it. And now it's, and then I ended up once it got too late again. And it is a frustrating thing is I talked to the guy three, four times a week and he'd call me up and I'm like, this is what you have to, I can't do this for you. You need to do this. Like you, you're the one who has to go out and do this. So now he's at JUCO and he called me up and he's like, I just don't know how coaches are finding kids. I'm like, Gary, you have everything you need. You, all you got to do is upload your video, call one of our recruiting coaches to tell them that your son is, wants to be reactivated and then get a plan together to get connected. Your kid is a division one caliber athlete. What are you doing? So and this is, a, this is like an eight year relationship I had with this family. And you know, he's great. I love talking to him. His kids are awesome. It's just one of those ones where you're like, oh my God, well, you have everything you need right there. We mentioned this term before on our podcast in season one, during one of your recruitment episodes. I think the term will be an ass call. <laughs> an ass call. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, ask call Ted is somebody who who continually asks for your advice and never uses it. How about that? Well, there's a lot of people that do that. And for some reason, a lot of folks do think that recruiting is just going to happen. I was one of those guys, you guys, back in the 80s. And um, I didn't sign on signing day. It was horrifying, actually. So then me and my dad knew that now we had to take action. There was no NCSA. So we resorted to literally sending out telegrams, you guys. That's how old I am, 1983. (laughs) And caught the attention of one guy's eye. And that's all it takes in recruiting. You only go to one school it's one coach I caught Dennis Green's eye then ended up starting for him for four years at Northwestern but literally was overlooked in the process because I same as your friends sometimes people think it's just going to happen and I think for five percent of the kids across the country maybe it does but for 95 percent of us me yep. my son included who's now in the NFL we needed to take action and once we did good things happen yeah absolutely and that's you know that's so crazy because like I said we could go 10 different routes with you today but for our listeners just kind of get an idea Ted's family is basically football like you're the only family if I remember correctly, that has won a Super Bowl three generations, correct? Correct. It wasn't called the Super Bowl when my dad won it with the Bears in 1963. But yes, World Championship ring. Yes, he played for Hallis. I played briefly at a cup of coffee with Joe Gibbs and the Redskins. Got a Super Bowl ring and my t- son is too with Bill Belichick and the Patriots. Amazing. So you guys have had leaders in there. You had that lineage for, for you to go through recruiting and not have anybody know who you are, knowing like, because those are the ones that don't need the help a lot of times or the dads in the NFL, you know, if one Super Bowls who played for George Hallis you know and you ended up at Northwestern which was right in your backyard anyway but that's the crazy part so if if Ted needed help imagine what somebody who's come up who doesn't who's a really talented football player who doesn't have a lineage or those types of network or connections that need help so that's the power now and the difference obviously between telegrams and the internet is night and day difference too (laughs) you have a lot more a lot more tools than what we did back then even for me in the the late late 90s when I went through this and I was solid football player good athlete you know really fast and all that stuff and yeah, I didn't have anything happen in recruiting either you know for me to be able to walk onto a college football team two years after not playing and just being a track guy tells me I had the potential there to be able to get recruited I just didn't know what to do my parents didn't know what to do my high school coaches didn't know what to do really so that was it and it wasn't their responsibility to get me recruited either that was my job right that's what a lot of people miss too they think yeah, it's they, they, job. They think you hit a button or your coach is, the, is right. the guy. we'll go down the recruiting route a little bit here I want to talk about some other things 
things with you too. But for those people out there listening who want to blame their high school or club coaches, like you coached college ball. What did, I mean, and you coached college ball from what, 2003 to basically a couple of years ago uh, before NCSA, you won a national championship, the NAI level, when you started up a college football program. What was the role of the high school coach during your recruiting process? You know, it's, um, well, it's definitely evolved over the years, but really, you know, hopefully I'm looking from the high school coach to get a good recommendation on the student athlete. And that's really about it. I mean, you know, because as a college coach, I'm not living with the high school coach the next four or five years. I'm living with that student athlete. And as a college coach, I'm trying to get that relationship with that student athlete. He fits in our team, our culture, getting to know him. And the high school coach, you know, could be a facilitator maybe for getting some film or giving us a good recommendation, you know, and maybe recommending some kids, which is all great stuff. But ultimately, I am trying to connect as a college coach with that student athlete because we are going to be living, you know, together for four and five years if he does sign at our school there's some role but it's not as you know big as some people think right it's just like the nfl stuff when guys go from from college to the nfl the film doesn't lie right that's the number one thing the the differing factor is a lot of times the interviews and then what the coach says about the person's character personality hard work your work ethic that sort of thing but ultimately if you're an nfl gm you're not basing your decision off of what a high school or a college coach says you're getting good information you know you're asking certain questions but you're not getting that type of you're not making i guess what i'm getting at is you're not making an assessment because a guy says he loves the kid everybody most well most of the time is going to love the kid that they coached for two three four years i've heard that all the time love him he's great he'll be good for you coach all right well let me make that determination but yes that's that hits it right on the head perfect Euro, you got something on that because we always talked it's not just one person or coach making a decision. As Monty mentioned, we went for this so many times. It includes a lot of hard work and a lot of this time. It's actually hard work from the player who's being recruited. And you not only have to be a good player, you also have to meet a ton of other criteria. You have to be a team player. You need to have the phenomenal communication skills. You have to be just a great individual. It's not just your playing skills it's all a big group and all like a puzzle which small pieces and in order for you to become a successful recruit you need to have most of those puzzle pieces and you need to put them together absolutely absolutely character yeah team player you hit it on the head i look you know more than ever you're looking for guys that are team players and coachable spot on yeah and more and more often than not you know this ted i mean you've coached 15 college football teams or so (laughs) you know like all of these things you're learning as an athlete that we're talking about now that, that coaches look for in student athletes, these are all employable skills, right? I mean, that's Absolutely. really at the end of the day, like, yeah, we, we can talk about the awesome part about your family and having a lineage of being in the NFL, but that's so non-typical. 99.9% of people don't ever get a chance to go to the NFL. So what you're training guys to do is, and your high school coaches are basically that character reference, and then you're showing your employable skills and you as the college football coach or any college coach for that matter is the boss right you're the guy that's hiring people to come and fulfill a job and and do their their compensation is some sort of scholarship or experience and in having that exactly awesome let's go through i want to i want to get some stuff here because obviously you got gibbs you got hollis and you got belichick and you guys have in your family have all known them somebody on a personal level so let's talk about like going back to your dad's stories what kind of stories was he telling you leadership stuff or just cool stories about something you 
unique about George Hallis? George Hallis was quite a character. He, my father used to say, George Hallis throws around nickels like manhole plates. He was dubbed not the best, you know, guy that pays his players, but he was a very demanding, tough coach who did love his players. And my dad thoroughly enjoyed playing for him and all the lessons learned there. But he was deemed, you know, <laughs> not the best guy that, you know, to pay you. Yeah, and my dad going some different teams, but he was a phenomenal leader, a, a great man and coach, cared about his players, did love his players. And yeah, there's all kinds of unique stories. You know, I have a picture. I probably, I don't know if I can get out of the other room, but you know, at halftime of the Bears games, you know what the pregame ritual was in the 60s? Anyone have a guess? Everyone smoked a cigarette. Yeah, smoking. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, smoking cigarettes. Yep. I have a picture of my dad in his Bears uniform smoking a, a cig. And then when Hallis would come in, everyone hurry up and like tamp him out like he's not going to smell it. It's just, it's a funny little sidelight that you don't hear anything about today because that doesn't go on at all. But. That's crazy. Yeah, we got the, well, we have, I mean, obviously we're in Green Bay. Like we love George Hallis in Green Bay because they, he, him and Lombardi, well, obviously the rivalry went back way before, but we love the rivalry with the Bears. I actually, Actually, personally like Bears fans more than Viking fans <laughs> I really do like I just feel like Bears come from the older school those fans do and their parents and they kind of understand the rivalry and I think the Viking fans just kind of want to jump in and they're like the little brother that just annoys the hell out of you and every time at a Packer game <laughs> Vikings will get a first down and that Viking fan in the like two rows in front of you will stand up and get in your face and do that stupid skull, skull! oh god do I hate that so those are the things that drive me crazy is like I'm a student like I love the X's and O's of football. I would love to be an NFL GM. That's like my dream job would be to, to be an NFL GM. I'm not so much a coach. I don't think I can handle that. But a GM and putting the pieces together, that would be my jam. But yeah, those guys that just sit in front of us and turn around and, and do that. It's crazy. Well, being a fan, you guys, is a unique experience for me because I've I've never really been a fan of the stands that much being in you know 27 years of college coaching. So when my son did get drafted to the Patriots, I did an experiment. I used to experiment at different stadiums of not wearing any gear of the Patriots, which are truly hated everywhere, pretty much. Yeah. And then not. And then the minute, I'll tell you the two worst fan bases that I've encountered are Cleveland and Buffalo. So really? I'm walking through, yeah, what, what do they call them? The mafia, the, the Bills the mafia, with mafia. Nothing. Yeah, the Bills yeah. mafia. Yep. With no Patriot gears on, no problem. Minute I put my jersey on, man, I'm getting heckled. People are pointing at me. It was just unbelievable. And I, I just, I haven't come to grasp with that at a stadium. You know, the tough guy fan have to engage me just because I'm wearing some gear. And I'm having a hard time with that. So I, uh... <laughs> security has had to come in on a few times before it got too crazy but uh I don't think you guys have been to Green Bay yet with Ted. no no in fact we haven't and even when I played for the Redskins the one time we played an exhibition game versus Green Bay we played in, in Madison so I've never uh, I've never been to Lambeau yet. yeah well you have yeah. to get up here at some point I do absolutely we might be in the need for a center next year if Corey Lindsley leaves so interesting <laughs> who knows man <laughs> you never know in nfl you never know and yeah it's, it's day to day there i mean you go from miami to green bay that'll be like a, he'll be climatized to that and then he'll come up it'll never get more than 85 degrees usually so yeah that would be good all right so joe gibbs now so hollis's stories you had firsthand experience with joe gibbs what are some like maybe a fun story about joe and then you know something uh something unique that maybe brings value to our listeners sure so one thing about joe gibbs and i was a smaller time player you know i was a scout team i was an 
undrafted free agent out of Northwestern. But one thing about Joe Gibbs, I felt as a player being in the lower tier guy is that he made everyone feel good about themselves and what they were doing for the common cause of the Washington Redskins to win. And I kind of put that into my coaching style from your top guy all the way down to your 99th guy on the, on the roster. He made everyone feel good about themselves and, and what we were doing on a day-to-day basis. I thought he was a really good motivator in that, in that realm. And he also, you know, would give you incentives, you know, back in the day as, you know, I got the, you get the Kodak look player of the week. So I was scout team player of the week. He'd bring you up in front of the team. He'd have a hundred dollar bill in his hand and he'd shake your hand. And it was a good feeling and everyone saw it and he recognized you. So he motivated the whole team on a really good basis. And he obviously had a lot of success over his years with his team. So I think that was one of the biggest, coolest things I thought about Joe Gibbs. Another thing I felt was when I was on the team, you guys, that was the strike year. So it was eight, it was 87, 88. I got cut on the 60 cut and then the strike happened. And then we had the scab replacement games. All right. The Redskins took it seriously and they ended up winning the Super Bowl that year because we won our three games. And what they did was call all of us guys that knew the system, but didn't make the final cut, brought us in as a core, brought some other freak shows into to the mix. And we won our games and beat teams with, you know, veteran laden teams like the Cowboys on Monday night football to end the strike. And those games counted and they went on to, you know, to win it all. You know, we got a little bit of the money that year and then we got our Super Bowl rings actually 31 years later. That's what you're wearing right now, right? If you guys want to check that out. Oh, nice. Nice. Yeah, that's That's really cool. I remember they did a 30 for 30 on that, which was really cool. Yeah, that's what spurred the Redskins on, I think, you know, to say, gee, why didn't these guys get that? The games counted, you know, they came in, did a good job. And yeah, that 30 for 30, actually, I I think uh, Mr. Dorsey, who put that together, he, uh, that kind of, you know, triggered them finally giving us the rings, which was very nice. No doubt. So life lesson from Joe Gibbs. What was it? Life lesson from Joe Gibbs. I think the biggest thing from here was perseverance day in and day out. Really, you know, you have to come to work every day and uh, prove yourself and persevere when things aren't good. I think he was good at keeping everyone up and motivated on that. For sure. Awesome. All right. Now on to, you know, Ted, Ted Jr. here with the Patriots. We got Belichick. We got to add, everybody now is all Belichick. This is he as dry uh, as a coach is what he is in the interviews. Absolutely not. Actually, he has a really good sense of humor, my son says, and he's a great guy to be around at times. Obviously, he's a pretty intense guy, you know, but right. he has a really good sense of humor. And he and the thing I like about Coach Belichick is he holds everyone accountable, whether you're Teddy Karras or Tom Brady and some of the meeting stories I've heard. You know, he, he's going to hold everyone accountable. And then the one thing I really like to give you a little quote from him, you guys, is, is mental toughness. And his definition of the mental toughness is doing what's good for the better of the team when things aren't going good for you, which is really in a nutshell, because when things aren't going good for you individually, a lot of guys will fold up and close. But if yep. you have the mental toughness, when things are really going for you to be the best teammate you could beat everyone else, that enhances the team. And that's one of his big sayings or, his, you know, in, in the facility that he uh, goes by. And I totally agree with it well you see that with the Patriots teams too is you know Tom hasn't I mean Tom hasn't been amazing the last few years and he's still incredible but you know you can see the depletion of his athletic ability his arm strength is coming down a little bit although he can still swing it pretty good he does the necessary things he takes what's given to him it's a five-yard dump off our Badger alum James White that guy 15 catches in the Super Bowl I I still think he should have been the MVP in that one but (laughs) 
too. He takes what's given to him, even if it's not a – or people are saying, well, Tom doesn't have it anymore because all the whole Patriots offense is a five-yard out or a five-yard slant or a screen. It's just keeping guys on their toes. He doesn't he doesn't necessarily have the guys to spread the defense out either. So, But Tom's always been doing that, and he bought into that. And obviously for 20 years and six Super Bowls, it's, yeah. it worked, right? <laughs> exactly. It worked. And 20 years is a long tenure in football. I never stayed anywhere longer than seven years as a coach. You know, so it's interesting. And, and you know, he's going on to a new chapter. I think they both want to prove themselves, and Tom's yep. going to get a good opportunity in Tampa Bay to do so. Pretty normal feeling after 10 years. That's why I left NCSA. <laughs> you know, there's no nowhere else for me to grow there. So I had to go right. and grow somewhere else. I had to go plant the seeds somewhere else. Yep. Yuri, you got something? You got you got a smirk on your face right now, or you just... I'm just listening. I'm, I'm in a good mood. It's been a while since we recorded podcasts during the day, so I'm shining <laughs> and happy. And usually, last couple of weeks, we did it at night, and I mentioned before, by the time my kids go to bed, I'm done. I'm checked out, so... Yeah. Just Yuri's, enjoy Yuri's listening. Got a, a full 12-hour day already at by 7.30 of being a, being a teacher and a dad and cleaning and doing all that stuff. Well, he's not working, you know, other than him doing the work for me. Ted, Yuri actually does a lot of work for me on the real estate side of things too. And he's been doing awesome. So been handling some marketing and training and some other stuff like that. So he's, he's learning that. Plus he's raising two girls that are not at school anymore. So by the time we do our podcast at 7.30, 8 o'clock at night, Yuri looks like, looks like he's been uh, thrown through a wash machine. <laughs> <laughs> It is nice to get one in before noon. I love this. Yeah, you're looking good, refreshed and ready. And we talked about system and goals. We talked that maybe too many, but for some of us, you need to hear that. My system, guys, is I'm most efficient in the morning. I can wake up. I can get up from the bed, just jump off and get things done. By the time I wake up, 6, 7 a.m., I can work for hours and hours and hours and then towards the afternoon getting a little bit tired and like I said after after kids dinner that's like a quiet time I don't want to jack them up get them wild but once they go to bed my productivity is gone I can do some work for Monty like social media Facebooking but uh, I'm lazy Russian I don't like to do anything heavy after kids go to bed I'm just I'm just hiding (laughs) so so we talk a lot about systems and goals and Ted obviously running college football teams for as long as you have what were some things that right away is when when you became a new head coach at a new school what were things that you had to implement because obviously being a coach is probably one of the most systematic jobs there is everybody gets structured has to be on the same page and you're dealing with 18 to 22 year olds that are want to party want to go out they got school they got everything that an 18 and 22 year old wants to do right at their fingertips but at the same time you still got to get them to go to school and play ball so what were what were things that you brought into play early like as soon as you took over a program what were things that you had to implement sure so I only got to really take over programs that were struggling in all realms on the field culturally and everything so when you come into a a program you know like that and then I got to start one from scratch which is a totally different thing really you want to set a tone as a leader to make sure that everyone's going to be held accountable no one's held over anybody else one thing I thought I was really good at is treating everyone as one and um, 
no one was more important than the other. And the guys really respect that kind of thing to the Belichick deal. You know, when you're in, in a meeting room, whether you're Tom Brady or Teddy Karras, whoever, everyone's going to be accountable. That was one thing. I definitely changed the cultures of schools by positive motivation. Getting back to the Joe Gibbs, I wanted to make guys feel good about themselves and what they were doing on a daily basis. And I think that's really important in connecting with kids on a daily basis. So that was huge. Um, those are just some of the things I wanted to, you know, hire some good coaches that I knew, you know, shared my philosophy. My last stint, I didn't do that, but my other ones I did. Hiring good people and then, you know, recruiting guys that fit what, you know, you're looking for. I want hard workers. I want team players. I want coachability. I don't want the selfish guy that's all about him. I want those kinds of characteristics in the guys that I recruited. And I did so, you know, successfully at quite a few places and especially the Marion experiment, starting from scratch and winning a national title in record time. That was six years we won it. By the way, I used NCSA to recruit nationwide, which really helped. Yeah. But um, those are some of the characteristics and some of the things I had a regimented schedule. I, I did help people accountable. I used to have a players council. We had a three strike system we experimented with, different things. And then, you know, I mentioned on another podcast that, you know, in 2010 of the Marion experiment, I had to cut some guys. They just weren't getting it. And once I did that, we thrived. I had 150 guys on a team. Imagine that. Small college presidents want 150 guys a lot of times on your team for tuition. And it really, at that many guys in football, it's too much. Right yeah. around is usually good. But those are some of the things that I did, you know, culture-wise, training-wise, regiment-wise, and, and the motivation factor. I'll never underestimate that. So you won the won the national championship, then you went to Walsh. That probably was a little bit tougher. I mean, that's a really, really hard conference. How did you handle building a, a team into a national championship and then going into a really, really tough conference that really is at a disadvantage to the other schools in that conference? How did you handle expectations and you know, obviously not getting probably to where you wanted to be? with that program how did you handle that adversity yeah that was an interesting time so as a, a it's euphoric anytime you win you know a national title but I always wanted to go on to the next challenge and I felt that Marion experience it was complete I mean I started it we won it all there's nothing really I had so I was always been challenged you know I love challenges I love the adventure of coaching mm -hmm. going to a new place seeing if I could do it so the biggest thing about the Walsh deal was is that they were a very mediocre NEI school and then opted to go into the very tough division two GLIAC with Probably the hardest conference in Division yeah. II in the country. I embraced that challenge, but what I felt is that the administration, some of the, you know, didn't really embrace it as much too, because, you know, you go to Sag Valley and you see their indoor stadium and you come visit Walsh University and we got the old Catholic school gym, yeah. you know, yeah. with the stage on it. It's just a whole different picture. And, and we're making any plans to do that. I did the best I could. We had, you know, we upped it for a while, but really couldn't sustain anything there due to all kinds of things, administratively, facility-wise, and, and they got out of the GLIAC like a lot of the NAI schools did and went to a, I don't want to say an easier conference, but more competitive for them. So you know, I, I was four years there, but it was just about the right time. You know, after I left there, my son got drafted and I went on to a new phase of life and, and another challenges. So, and NCSA was one, but also real estate, you guys. We, My son and I just completed our first flip. Awesome. Um, yeah. Nice. And, and I'm also involved with the CBD Relief Wellness Cafe partner in. So there's a lot of things that out there, I, I felt that, you know, coaching that you know there comes a time in your life where you, you, you I gave it my all I loved every minute of it when I did it but 27 years I was ready for another adventure now I'm in that part of my life for sure that's that's awesome first flip I always love these stories because they're difficult the first one is always the hardest now you got that one out of the way did you get it sold yet yeah so we turned it around we had a good we had a pretty good plan uh we bought it in November and we sold it here about three four weeks ago well done made a, made a profit here in uh, Indianapolis in a section called South Broad Ripple 
and we just bought our second one next to Butler University. Oh, nice. And, and I'm really, yeah, it's really something we talked about. So I was listening to one of your podcasts about talking about things and then doing them. We yep. talked about it for four years, and we finally did it this past November, and it's been so satisfying to finally do it. It's so much different than talking about it, huh, guys? I mean, it's just like, wow. It's totally different, yeah. Because yeah. it's, well, talking about it, you can get from start to finish in about a minute. Right. <laughs> doing it and actually, first of all, having the balls to pull the trigger on it, that's the heart, of the, especially the first one. Like, right. the thing that's been my advantage right now in our market is, my, and I talked to my brother who's a wholesaler. That's where I get, you know, my brother, Corey, who I'm sure you met in passing, uh, working at NCSA, and he was a beast while he was there. He's a wholesaler, so he goes out, and he basically bird dogs property. So for a flipper like you, if you want to get more involved in it, get on wholesale list because they find the properties that, and if they're good wholesalers, they'll have usually inspection reports already done, the videos there, they'll let you in and go in and actually inspect the properties and they'll give you a time frame to do that. So as you as you get a better eye for flipping and, and knowing now that you got the first one out of the way, you're going to run into certain things that you never saw before. And then, okay, now we know how to fix these things. We know who to contract, you know, all this stuff. But as you get more involved into the flipping, get on those lists because then they give you the bargains that are legit bargains that are sellable. Usually they already have the prep work done. Then you go from there and then you got to have your team, your contracting team, the guys that you trust, the guys you didn't really like working with. And you kind of just like, just like a coach would do, you know, you got to get your starters in play and then you have your backups and you have everything else going. And then by the end of it all, you got to make sure you got a good realtor. You know how to really market properties and make sure that you're getting your profit. Everybody's got to have their cake and eat it too and, and flipping. And that's the fun thing for me. But yeah, you did great. If you made a profit on your first one, well done. Cause I think I lost like 17 grand or something like that. On my first <laughs> Thank one. you. That's what they say. If you make a penny on your first one, you should be happy. So we, yep. were, we were pretty happy. Yeah. Definitely a learning experience because I've done contracting in the past. I've talked about this on one of our podcasts with Kevin. I just didn't trust my gut. And there was a guy that I hired desperate to get things going. And instead of waiting two weeks for another guy that I did trust, I wanted to get started right away. And the guy cost me four months, five months of, of work because he'd show up once a week for two hours, just enough to keep me not getting pissed off. And then, <laughs> and then he would leave and then he'd come back and ask for a check and he'd work for like two or three days and then I'd pay him. So just the little lessons that you learn. And, but the good thing in that from that guy I got four or five other guys that I trust out of his mistakes because they came and bailed me out. Otherwise, I would have lost a lot more money and I might not be flipping anymore. Gotcha. So a lot of cool stories in that. What was the hardest thing about flipping for you? One was to pull the trigger, like you said. We finally pulled it. Two was, you mentioned it earlier, the contractors. And we used some at the beginning and then had to ch make a change. And once we did, just like you alluded to, things got done a lot faster. And that is huge in the flipping game, as we found out. It's kind of the same scenario you were talking about. And then we got a guy that really got it done. And, and um, those were two two big lessons um, early on that I learned, yeah. getting the right contracts and the right backups, too. What about your CBD thing? Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, so this is, a, you know, talk about taking action. So I've always been a guy that try to seize opportunities. So I was sitting in my barber chair when I could go to my barber a few months, uh, half a year ago. And uh, the guy coming in uh, after me was a, was a guy here in Indianapolis, been a businessman, and they just started Relief Wellness Cafe. It's not all CBD, but it's all wellness products, but a lot of CBD stuff. And I've always been interested in it. I think it's a good natural remedy that's been demonized over the years. And now it's coming back with a lot of great health benefits. We have opened one retail store called Relief Wellness Cafe in, in here in Whitestown, Indiana. We were planning to open a few more here this summer, but COVID kind of slowed that down a little sure. bit. Getting the 
wholesale market and uh, just trying to help people, you know, and, and giving them alternatives to medicine and, and you know, wellness. And I've been about that my whole life. I've been doing that for about seven months now. We got knocked out of the wholesale side of things just because we used to, we were calling on people in January and February. Now you can't walk into places. So yeah. see how that goes. But that's just another venture that, uh, and being in a small business, I've always wanted to do and finally took action uh, also last November. I love that. You did a lot of stuff starting in November last year. Yeah, no, it was fine. It was time. Time to go. Fire bullets, Ted. I love right. it. Yes. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So what's next? Are you trying to, you're trying to expand the, the CBD thing and when's the next flip coming up? Yeah. So um, obviously we're going to start to keep expanding the CBD thing. The next flip we're already in progress close to Butler Tarkington area here in Indianapolis. It's a, it's a, it was less to buy, but more to rehab, which yep. is also an interesting thing. Um, but the cool technology is that our contractor that we have now, had we have a, a software that we could see the action and the work being done as it's being done. Fabulous. And I don't know the exact name of it, but it's really good to keep tabs on everything, check progress. And also when we get closer to sale, get some potential buyers. Because our one, the first one we did, didn't even, we didn't put up a sign. We were, have a good team of a realtor living in the area that we didn't even have to put it to market and we sold. That's that. awesome. Yeah. If you find out that technology, Yuri got pretty fired. His eyes got pretty big. Yeah, I love it. That's, cool. that's, yeah. that's some ultimate marketing stuff. They changed the rules in Wisconsin for realtors now where we can't market a property. If we put a sign out in the yard, it has to be on the MLS in like a day. But oh, wow. if I own it, then I don't, then I have that. People can actually see that progress. And that would be huge for, I think, buyers to know like, wow, this is everything going into this house from start to finish. It almost eliminates the need for an inspection or, you know, then yeah. you can, then you can target areas that actually need inspection at yeah, that's that's really cool stuff. We got to keep we got to keep make sure this this doesn't get out to the locals, uh, Yuri. <laughs> yeah, for, so otherwise, for sure. otherwise the realtors are out here. I'll do that. All right, so Ted, I I texted you and said, hey, be prepared for a couple of questions here. So yeah. what, do you, what do you got for us? Q and A. Uh, yep. Yes, This is for Yuri first. So I read a little bit about your background, but was curious why did you choose to settle in Green Bay and the best things that you like about Green Bay? Oh, Green Bay. First of all, when I'm moving here in the United States back in 2003. The United States is pretty small. It's only 50 states. So I was pretty confused. Well, the long story short, my girlfriend at the time, her cousin from the same country, so he was living in Green Bay. So when we were coming just for my first summer for work and travel program, he helped us out. He's like, hey guys, Green Bay is wonderful. It's a smaller town. It's nice and quiet. The climate just the same as in our country. So virtually the same, but different language. I wanted to go to the bigger city like New York and Chicago. And he kind of talked us out out of it. He's like, you guys go into a different country, go something smaller. So he found us jobs in Door County. It's like a little like summer jam here in, in Wisconsin when everybody from Illinois, Minnesota, half of state of Wisconsin go to spend summer. So he found us jobs there, found us apartment. And I just fell in love with people in Wisconsin. Wisconsin. The people are so genuine. Everyone's happy. And it just not broke my heart, but I like literally fell in love with people. And here I am. I, I mentioned before, I'm myself from a very big city. It's Minsk. It's capital of Belgium.
Belarus, so it's about 1.7 population. So I had a feel of big city, and now as I'm growing and getting older, I wanted something a little bit more easygoing, like a safe environment for my kids. But I also wanted not drive to work for two hours or sit in the traffic jam for two and a half hours just to get somewhere two miles. When we go somewhere in Green Bay, we have no problems parking our cars and moving around the town. I can go from east to west side of Green Bay in about 15 minutes in the car. So I really love Green Bay. But most of it is probably people. The people and it's just so warm and welcoming here in Green Bay. Awesome. How did you settle in Indy? Why did you settle there? When I started Marion University, I was at Terre Haute, Indiana at a school, real high-end engineering school called Rose Holman Institute yeah. of Technology. I left that to start Marion's program. So that's why I settled in Indy. And then once I left Marion and went to Walt, we kept our house. I actually rented because I, you know, coaching is fickle as it is. I didn't know how long it would last. So we sure. so yeah, so we've been here now 10 years. Indianapolis is kind of the hub of all football in the country. A lot of people don't realize that because oh, yeah. you got the scouting combine, you got the NCAA connection there you got some pretty cool smaller schools there in butler and and that sort of thing yeah absolutely Yep, cool. Very cool. All right, number two. This is for you. So you answered some of these already, but I wanted to talk a little bit about real estate. So yeah, you gave me some of the best advice already. Maybe you could give me another tidbit. And then also, where do you see the real estate market going from here? Because we were, we're trying to do flips, but I heard, I think on another podcast, you got an Airbnb going. Where do you see the market going? Where do you see as a, a novice continuing to grow in the real estate? Well, I think for, you know, number one, if you're doing it on the investing side of things, I, you know, the number one way to, to create generational wealth is buy and holds by far. Flipping is a good way to get in and, and really learn insides and outs of the houses, how to deal with contracts and it's really like a crash course. It really is. It's You're paying a strong tuition and you're hoping for a great return and it, it's quick. Right. So that's what I love about flipping is I like doing all that and coordinating everything. Maybe that's the coach background in me where I can do all of that. It's got to be buy and holds. Is if you're looking for that long-term generational wealth type of stuff for, for people out there is you got to have buy and holds. I mean, somebody else is paying a mortgage for you and paying down, paying right. down your debt. And it literally costs you hardly anything to be able to do that a lot of times. There's a strategy out there called a Burr strategy, which is buy, yeah. rehab, rent, redo. I try to find those types of properties. I just bought one a week ago on Friday, a triplex that should fit right into that category uh, really well. So, uh, and then as far as the market goes, I don't know how it is in Indianapolis, but if you sold yours right away without it, it's probably very similar to Green Bay's where there's very, very limited inventory right now for, for buyers. It's probably, you know, I was, I got into, even in the higher end stuff, there's, in Green Bay, I think there's only 700 and some houses on the market right now, and over half of them already have offers. And under that $250,000 marker, there's 80, 82 or something like that. So it is nuts right now with, with the limited inventory. And usually it's about four times that amount this time of year. So I think COVID has something to do with that. People are just kind of leery about jumping. I have all sorts of clients right now waiting for the perfect house. And as we're on the call there, you know, I got three text messages from them. Hey, let's go look at this one. We, we, we got to, you know, go right away on, on Monday there was one where we put it we put an offer in on a house the house was listed for about three hours we put an offer in on the house the next morning I got a text message from the other realtor saying we accepted the other offer it was way over asking with no contingencies and I'm like how do you even compete with that sometimes yeah. so and it was a four hundred and fifty thousand dollar house so it's not like we're talking a hundred thousand dollar house where somebody can go in and pay cash for it I think the rates are in, it's inflated now as far as where it's going to go I think there is going to be it's going to level back out I don't think we're going to see a crash 
crash like we did in 2008 or nine. I, I just don't, I don't see that. I think interest rates will determine some of that. If we get inflation, then we might be hurting a little bit, but you know, anybody who's saved up enough cash to go out and buy properties with that, then they're going to be really able to pack on and, and build really, really a good empire for themselves here shortly because there'll be no competition for buying houses. Then. You're the landlord. How do you find being a landlord? Uh, I don't, I don't, I will oh. I refuse to be a landlord too okay. much to push over. I'm too nice. So right. <laughs> I hire a property manager who can, uh, okay. do that. So there you go. All right. <laughs> That's not, a good answer. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I just, I know my strengths and weaknesses. And if somebody gives me a sob story, I tend to either one bottle it up and hold it in and just get pissed off or two, uh, I just, okay. Yeah, no big deal. And I had a duplex a couple of years ago where a girl, she still owes probably about three grand in back rent, which I'll never see and a thousand dollar water bill. He gave me some sob story. And then I saw her out at a bar that I was at for, for like some festival or something like that. And she's buying drinks for people. And it just, uh-huh. it just made oh. me really, really mad. So I, at that point is when I made the decision, if I'm going to be in the rental game, I need to have a property manager who can be the bad guy, not me. That's great advice. Cause I'm like you, I think I'm too nice too. So <laughs> that's perfect. Thank you for that. Yeah, you bet. <laughs> you bet. So awesome stuff. Well, I think we'll wrap up here, Ted. Thanks so much for taking your time out. I miss you. Yeah. Seeing you guys on those calls, stay in touch. If you want to be a, uh, a regular, we could certainly have uh, Ted Karras on uh, as we'll, we'll pick a topic. I know Kevin wants to come back on and pick a topic and we'll start getting more into just uh, specific based type of things. We'll get into leadership and other things like that coming up, but I appreciate you coming on, man. Thanks. Thanks so hey, much. Th- hey, thanks for having me guys. Thank appreciate you. Ted. You. Was nice meeting you and it was excellent podcast. It's all about taking action here. And your story was just amazing from being a player, being a coach, figuring out the different systems. And now we talk about it all the time, especially with COVID-19 and stuff. It's all about diversity. You cannot have all of your eggs in the same basket. You always need to have plan B and you guys are doing great. You're trying to figure out new methods, new income for you, even with CBD and your flips and it's our recurring theme of a podcast don't be afraid to suck at something you know (laughs) just have to take steps not talk you need to actually get up on your feet and take steps for some people those are baby steps for somebody somebody gonna get running right away but here take action podcast be all about you at least trying because how you supposed to learn if you don't suck and don't expect you to come in into something completely new you never done before in your life and succeed i'm pretty sure it happens but we want to see people not struggling but we want to see people figuring out how to work it out building new systems around their new business figuring out new business ideas and it was nice meeting you so the story was phenomenal great to meet you you guys great to meet you love to be on again you want to wrap us up here tell them where they can find us yeah absolutely guys here's take action podcast uh you open that magic google window or it's google a in french (laughs) and just type it in take action podcast with monty and you're our name is somewhat unique so you won't have to scroll through the pages you'll find all our information right away on the first search page and if you don't want to download any of our episodes we are on apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, spotify stitcher captivate is my favorite player so basically same window you can type in take action podcast with monty and you can find all of our episodes we are not giving up even with 
these uncertain times. We're going to keep episodes coming up for you guys to give you an example that you can still take action even when you're locked in in your own home. So don't... That was a, that was a great time to, to load up and try to get ahead. So when whenever the safer at home or the parameters end up, you can come out running. You don't have to... Don't let this be an excuse for your success, I guess is what I'm getting at. Yeah, for sure. And some of us maybe even learned a new skill while being in quarantine. So heads up going to you guys. <laughs> for, sure. for sure. Awesome stuff, guys. Well, have a good one. Yuri, you want to give us the Shakira? Yeah, absolutely, guys. This is not to be weird. That's our normal thing that we usually do on our podcast, <laughs> closing it out. So yeah, super. But I've been doing this for a while. Okay. <laughs> Thank you for joining us, guys. It was season two, episode 20, Take Action podcast. We'll see you next week. And let's close it out. It's boom for Monty. Boom. And Shakira. Boom. <laughs> Love it. All See right, you guys. guys. See you guys. Thank you. Yep.